Thanks for finding us. This is a message recorded at Fairfax Assembly in Bakersfield, California. You can find out more at fairfaxassembly.com. Questions. There, there have been some very interesting questions down through history. There have been some outstanding questions that have really moved discussions along. There, there have even been famous questions, and I bet that you know a lot of the famous questions. They're that famous. One of the most famous questions came from the pen of Shakespeare in his play, Hamlet of Denmark, when the main character, Hamlet, is musing to himself about, should I even be here? Should I be alive? Or should I even have been born? And he says, you know the question, to be or not to be, right? That is the question. He tells us that is the question in case we didn't see the question mark, but it's a question. The very first telephone call that was ever made, Alexander Graham Bell, the inventor, to his assistant, Mr. Watson, was a question. Can you hear me, Mr. Watson? Famous question. The first celebrity journalist that the world knew anything about, a man by the name of Henry Morton Stanley, worked for the New York newspapers. He went on a months-long trek to find a man that most of the world thought was long dead, David Livingston, the explorer, and great and godly missionary in the heart of Africa. Stanley went there to find him, and after many, many months of trekking through the jungle, he located the village that they told him the living Dr. Livingston was in, and he approached him with a question, Dr. Livingston, I presume. Question. But there are more questions. There's a, a question. Some in this room are old enough to remember that it was a question <clears throat> that brought down a president. What did the president know? And when did he know it? And the great president fell because of that question. It's, um, questions are in, in movie lines. Remember Ghostbusters? What's the question? Who are you going to call? I'm glad you knew the answer. <laughs> question. But ton, tons of them in movies. Tons of them in movies. In, in, in one of my favorite movies, Dirty Harry, question. Remember? Harry says, you got to ask yourself, question, <laughs> do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? <laughs> you can have a lot of power if you've got a gun on a guy's head, I guess. But great question. The funniest comedy acts of all time. Who's on first? A question, right? But in song titles as well, do you, do you know the way to San Jose? Question. Will you love me in December as you did in May? How much is that doggy in the window? All questions, right? Questions down through history. Thinking of a song title right now that was a question too, Maybe it's your favorite. The title is, Why Couldn't We Blow Up Sodom? Actual song. If you missed that one, that was by the Austin Lounge Lizards. Why Can't We Blow Up Sodom? But history is full of questions. John F. Kennedy in his great inaugural address, Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. But it goes way back into ancient history. As Julius Caesar, who put an end to the great centuries-long Roman Republic by becoming its first dictator, taking power 
by force. He's being assassinated by the senators of Rome who can't take his ways anymore. And as a man who is really more like a son to him than a senator, Brutus approaches him and puts his dagger in. The last words of the great Caesar, a question, et tu, Brute, you too, Brutus? So questions. Jesus asked questions too. In fact, some bright boy has counted them in the Gospels. They say there are 295 questions on the lips of Jesus. But with Jesus, questions are different. When we ask questions, when history asks questions, when song titles ask questions, it's to discover, it's to pursue, it's to know. But that's not the case with Jesus. He never asks a question because he needs the information. He never asks the question because he wants to break the ice and get a conversation going or get to know you. No, he uses questions, you've heard me say it before, like a skilled surgeon uses his sharpest scalpel. And Jesus will use questions to start a process on our mind that's not unlike peeling back layers of dead tissue so that there could be health and wholeness in our lives. All through questions. And we've got a question of his today. Turn to Mark chapter 4. Jesus comes into a, a place where there is a, a big body of water. It's the Sea of Galilee. He goes into that country and, and there he begins to teach. Now there's a very large crowd that is gathered around him and his back is to the sea. And he decides that... Uh, the crowd is going to push me into the water, and so he calls for a boat, and they put Jesus in a boat. He sits down, and from some safe distance from the crowd and the shore, he begins to tell a story. It's one of his most familiar stories. In your Bible, it may be called the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils, but he was teaching them in parables, in these stories that he had a knack for. And he told them this particular story. He said, a man went out to sow seed. A sower went forth to sow. He's talking about a farmer going out to plant his seed. And maybe he relates this particular story because at that very moment on a nearby hillside, there was a farmer engaged in planting his seed using a method that we call broadcasting. It's a very inefficient method. You just throw the seed out, and it lands wherever it lands. And it's luck of the draw, how that seed matures if it does at all. He says, a man went out to sow seed like that, and he's just flinging it to the wind, and it lands where it will. And some of the seed in this very inefficient method landed on the path, hard-packed, more like cement than like soil. And it laid there for only a short time before the birds saw a chance at free lunch and came and gobbled it up. Other seed, he says, it fell nearby, but in slightly better soil. It, it fell in some soil that was thin. It was warm. It was good as far as it went, but there was bedrock under it. It was rocky soil. And the seed sprung up quickly enough, but it went away just as quickly because there was no depth in the soil where the roots could take hold and be nurtured and, 
and the soil was shallow. And the sun came out and scorched those plants away. They withered and died. Other seed, he said, fell among some thorns. And the seed grew up, but the, so did the thorns, and they choked it out, and it died. Other seed, he said, fell on good soil. And it produced a fantastic harvest, a great yield in proportion to the seed sown. That was his story. He ends up by saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So his story's got something to do with listening and hearing, doesn't it? But his followers, they did not get it. They were entertained by the drama of it. They appreciated the gardening tips, but they didn't get it. And so they approached him privately later, his closest inner circle, and they said, what did that story mean? And Jesus marvels at their inability to understand the simplest of stories. And he says in verse 13 of Mark chapter 4, Do you not understand this parable? No, we do not. How then will you understand any or all of the parables? If you don't get this one, you're not going to get any of them. Now, really, there are two questions of the 295 there. Do you not understand this parable? No, they didn't. Then how are you going to understand any of the parables? Apparently, they will not. How will you understand any of it if you don't get this? Most of what he will say to them from this point on, if they do not get what he's saying here in the story about the different kinds of soil, if they don't get his point here, He's telling them that everything else he will ever say to them is going to be forever locked in the realm of mystery. And if you don't get this one, you won't get any of it. So it's key. There's something in it that has to do with a phrase that shows up in verse number 9. At the end of his story, he says, He, she, who has ears to hear, let them hear with those listening ears. And he will repeat it again. In verse number 23, same chapter, he will repeat that phrase again, where he will say that once you get this code-breaking story down, once you do get it, don't hide it. Don't hide it. Because if you hide what this story is telling you and you don't live by it and you don't absorb it and you don't share it and you don't allow your life to be informed by it, you will be as stupid as the person who lights a lamp and puts it under a bushel basket under their bed. How dumb that would be. How dumb you will be if you don't get this or if you get it and forget it. So it's key, isn't it? It's key, and it's got something to do with that phrase, he, she. It's a plea, really. He or she who has an ear, let them hear. In other words, pay attention to what you hear from Jesus Christ. At 4.13, where we find our question, if you don't get this, how are you going to get anything? It is a great concern for Jesus he has just told them 
about seed, the seed of the word. What he has to say is the seed. And he has told them about the importance of it falling on right ground, on the right kind of listening ears. And and maybe their lack of understanding. They don't get it, what he's just said to them. And that's why they come to him and say, please give us an explanation. And maybe their lack of understanding, and this is why he's concerned, their lack of understanding means that the seed in this particular case did not fall on good ground. Here's exhibit A of what he's talking about. You're not good ground. You didn't hear what I said. They were bad ground. And that means that nothing will be understood by them. So it's a very critical point that Jesus has to make. How frustrating it must have been for him. So what he does is he dissects it sentence by sentence, something that he does with no other teaching. He will take it apart bit by bit and explain every single detail of it. He'll do that for them because they and we must get what he's saying. Pick it up at verse 14. The sower, the one broadcasting in the inefficient manner, the sower sows the word, the words of Jesus. These are the ones who are beside the road when the word is sown. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. He's talking about the seed that unfortunately falls on the path. Satan immediately comes and takes away what they've heard. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then, when affliction or persecution arises because of that word, immediately They fall away. And the others are the ones on whom the seed was sown among thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word and accept it and and bear fruit, 30, 60, and 100-fold. So there's a great yield with some. But it has everything to do with that little phrase, he, she, who has an ear to hear. Let them listen. We've got to learn to truly hear the voice of Christ is what he's saying in this story because our lives depend upon it. Now Let's get back to those kinds of soil. Look at the path soil. In verse 15 of his explanation, his dissection, And what he's telling us with that particular kind of soil is you will never hear me, you will never hear Christ if you stick with the familiar, the path, well-worn. The path is the familiar in life. The path is the most public way that we can pursue life, on the path. If we're always out, if we're always engaged, if we're always busy, if we're always active, then we have no inward life, you see. If we're always living our life on the path, if we're always living around others, surrounded by others, and everybody's concerned, and all the concerns in the world, 
then we have no inward life and we can't hear. My mom used to say, she had a way of turning a phrase. She used to say, fools' names and fools' faces are often seen in public places. If we're always out there, if we're always on the path, then we have no inward life. If we're always living for others and around others, we have no time for His Word. We have no time to hear Him. There's too much clutter. There's too much background noise to hear His voice to you if we're always on the path, you see. The great psychologist, I can't endorse everything he said, but the great psychologist Jung said that hurry and busy the things that we're engaged in most days, that hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. It is the devil. And in our lives, we hurry and we rush so much that we can't hear him, you see. And if we can't hear him, then everything else is lost. The greatest of the Old Testament prophets, Elijah, the greatest of the non-writing Old Testament prophets, Elijah, was at a low point in his life, low point physically, low point emotionally, low point spiritually and psychologically. He was a broken man. He was spent. He had been too busy. And he despairs of his own life. In fact, at one point he lays down and he says, God, just let me die here in the desert. God won't. He sustains him at that point, but he moves him on to an even more remote place because God wants to speak into Elijah's life. And along comes an earthquake. But Elijah doesn't hear the voice of God in the earthquake. Then comes a fireball. Then comes a tornado. He doesn't hear God in any of those things. It's only when he hears a still, small voice. When everything is quiet, when he is quiet, that he hears the still, small voice of God. That still small voice of God can only be heard if we take ourselves off the path now and again, you see. If we take ourselves out of circulation for a while. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting something that most people will never try. Certainly most Americans, even most American Christians, will never attempt this. But understand what Jesus is asking for of us when he, when he says he wants to have a relationship with us, he wants to come and live his life inside of us, what he does not have in mind is what we usually have in mind. Oh, he wants to make me a better version of myself. He wants to make me the best version of myself. That's not what he's interested in at all. He is interested in you living a very radical life and being part of a kingdom that makes no sense to the rest of the world. He's interested in you being part of a kingdom where if you want to be first, put yourself last. If you want to be strong, you have to demonstrate your weakness. If you want to be heard, you have to shut your mouth. And the most powerful weapon you have at your disposal is prayer. It's a kingdom that doesn't make any sense that he wants us to be a member of. That's what he's got in mind. So don't stick with the familiar. 
Don't stay with the path. Don't do what everybody else does. If you only go where the crowd goes, then his voice will be eclipsed by a thousand others that are always louder than his. It says that when those birds come and take away the seed that's on the hard-packed path, that what he's trying to explain is that's the person who hears my word, he hears what I'm saying, But the enemy comes and steals it away because it's unprotected. It's not hidden in the heart. And he steals it away. And the word that's used there, cardia, we get our word cardiac, heart, it means more than just this incredible muscle that beats inside of our chest with the chambers and the valves and all the rest. It's talking about the core of who you are. The enemy will come and steal that away. So pay attention and listen and hide his word deep in who you are. But you'll never, never hear him if you stick with the familiar. There's another soil. He says, you'll never, ever hear. And he says it again, pay attention, listen to this. In fact, that's how he opens the whole story. Pay attention, listen. We need to listen to this, that you will never hear If you settle for superficial things, you'll never hear him. If you invest your life in surface things, if you invest your life in trivial things, if you go about your walk with Christ in a superficial way, you will never hear him. It's what the rocky soil in verse 16 is all about. What? I'm not really a gardener, but even I know the answer to this question. What's the problem? Putting seed in rocks. What's the problem planting seed in rocky soil like this farmer did? What's the problem? Well, there may be soil enough to get the seed started, to let it germinate and and begin to bud up. There may be enough warm soil for that. There may be enough nutrients there somewhere hidden in those rocks for that. But there's not enough for the long haul. The soil that Jesus is talking about here is soil that's a thin layer, and underneath there is bedrock beneath the surface. And he says that people that are like this soil, they hear his word and they receive it with great joy. And how often I've seen that. And they start well in their walk with Christ, but in your walk with Christ, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. He that endures to the end will be saved. It's how you finish, friend. It's how you finish. But this seed comes up and it's temporary, he says. It doesn't last. It has no staying power. There are an awful lot of people that will be sitting on the porch one day in their declining years and they'll look back and they'll say, oh yeah, I used to go to church. I used to read the Word. I went through a Christian phase. There's some people that that's exactly what it is. It's just a phase that they go in and they go out of. And sometimes they go in and out and in and out and in and out. But it's just temporary at best. It doesn't last and they have no staying power. Temporary describes many people that call themselves Christians today. says that 
They wither away and die in that environment. When persecution arises, when suffering or affliction or difficulty comes along, they fall away. It's the Greek word scandal that we get our word scandal from. They are offended. And how many people have we known that say, I used to go to church, I used to follow the Lord, but somebody offended me. I always suggest, whoever offended you, you confuse them badly with Jesus Christ. He never offended you. But because of the offense, real or supposed, they fall away and it's become temporary. Forgetting all the while that we serve a Savior who was crucified on the cross. That's what they did to Him. That's what the world did to Him. And He said, in the world, mark it down, you will have tribulation. But for so many, when the trouble comes, they fall away and it becomes temporary. So don't ever settle for the superficial, even in your walk with Christ. The question arises then, then what do we do? How do we avoid being superficial in our walk with Christ? Go deep into God's Word. And that means when you go deep into God's Word, you're talking about time spent in God's Word. You may find it impossible to spend a great deal of time. Start small. Ten minutes. And in two weeks, fifteen. And twenty and thirty and then an hour, and you'll find yourself welcoming those times. It will become the sweetest part of your day, and you'll find yourself sacrificing other things, even sleep to get up early to read the Word, because it becomes a lifeline. That's how you avoid being superficial. Go deep into God's Word. Take time for times of extraordinary prayer. Learn how to pray. Learn how to spend your time in extraordinary prayer. If you don't know how to pray or you don't know how to pray long, you're in company with the apostles who approached Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. He will teach you to pray. Get around people who know how to pray. When we have prayer times like we did last Sunday evening, which, by the way, was the most amazing service we have ever conducted in this church, make sure you're there. You learn to pray by praying with people who know how to pray, you see. So commit yourself to learning how to pray and how to have times of extraordinary prayer. Learn how. Commit yourself to times of worship. Commit yourself to sacrificing giving. Commit yourself to sacrificing your time in some kind of a ministry with children or music or others or helping, doing something. Give your time. Make it a sacrifice. That's how you avoid being superficial in your walk with Christ. Make a sacrifice. Put yourself in a place where God must show up or you fall on your face. I was a very young Christian. And I had my first car, a 63 Plymouth Valiant. I bought it for $125, and it ran beautifully. I loved that car. It won't mean anything to some people here, but it had a slant six engine and plenty of room to move around in there, and that's how I learned to work on cars, was on that Plymouth. 
Well, I decided after having it for three years, I would sell it. A fellow at my work, I worked at a print shop downtown Indianapolis, and he worked at the warehouse attached to it, and he loved that car, and he said, anytime you want to sell it, I'll buy it. I sold it to him for $125. Driven it three years, got out of it what I put into it. It was the very last day I had possession of the car, and I was driving it early one morning. It was still dark out. I was driving it through town to take it to this guy, go to work, and turn it over to him. In fact, I'd already signed it over to him, and I had canceled the insurance and transferred it to my new car. I hit a patch of ice at a railroad crossing. car was stopped in front of me, and I plowed right into it. Didn't do almost, almost no damage to my little Plymouth. It was like a tank. But this was a tricked-out Cadillac. When Cadillacs were Cadillacs, when you could hide the body of four enemies in the trunk. And it was all tricked out, plated, filigreed, beautiful, decorative airbrushing, all kinds of stuff. Bam! I smacked right into the back of it on the ice. Didn't have a stick of insurance. This guy unfolded himself out of the driver's side, and when he stood up his full length, he was nine foot tall. He had a huge, broad-brimmed fedora hat on. He had a fur coat that went all the way to his ankles. He was a pimp. And he's screaming and shouting and throwing things. And I thought, dear Jesus, I'm going to die. Right here on Martindale Avenue, I'm going to die. And he's screaming and yelling, and I didn't think this was a good time to tell him I didn't have insurance. But I gave him my information, phone number, address, name, all of that. He said, you're going to pay. You're going to pay. You're going to pay. Oh, nuts. What have I done now? Took the car on into work, and the guy gladly received it. That night, I was a brand-new Christian. That night, there were some special meetings at church, and we had a special guest, and he was presenting his ministry, and and I was sitting there not really paying attention, thinking, what am I going to do? I do not have enough money to pay for that man's car. And he will snap me in three pieces. What am I going to do? And I was dumb enough to give him my real name and address. <laughs> I was a Christian. So I'm sitting there thinking about that. And halfway listening to his appeal, I had $500 in the bank. That was it. And I took out my checkbook and I wrote out $500 to that ministry. Now I'm cleaned out. And I said, God, I can't help myself now. If you don't come through, I'm going to fall big. The man never called. Never called. My phone has changed since then. He will never call. Great idea. But I learned to trust God. You, you sometimes, to keep from living a surface life, to go deep in God, you have to put yourself in a place where if God doesn't show up, you extend yourself, you will fall on your face. Somehow, that pleases God. And He always shows up. But you'll never hear His voice if you settle for the surface. You never will. 
You know, we've figured out in the way we live life, we have figured out how to insulate ourselves. But sacrificial living, whether it's a sacrifice of time or money or resources or prayer, it explodes all of that. And it helps us to go deep with God. Don't live on the surface because God's got a lot for you to see. I was privileged a few years ago to get to know a man by the name of Brother Armstrong who had pastored this church in the 70s, in the late 70s. In fact, it was under him that they added the bathrooms back there. Until then, there was an outhouse at the end of the building. But I got to know Brother Armstrong. I was called to his home. He was dying. Advanced age in his 90s. But his mind's still clear, and I would go and visit him, and I would he was confined to his bed most of the time, and I would talk to him, and I would say, Brother Armstrong, what's the word today? He was one of those people that was so in touch with God, he was a little intimidating to me, really. And I would ask him, what's God showing you today? And I'll never forget one day he told me, stop asking me that question. Because God is showing me things as I'm laying here. And he had walked with the Lord for 80 years, eight decades. He said, I'm seeing things that I can't even explain. And God's showing me. God's got a lot for you to see. So don't live on the surface of things. The last thing is, you'll, you'll never hear if Jesus is second in your life. If he's not primary, if he's not first, you're never going to hear his voice. If you don't hear him first, then other things will come along and choke out his voice. Look at verse 18, that fourth chapter. What are the things that choke out his voice that will come along? Snares of this world. That's what he says. Snares of the world, they choke out my voice. What are those snares in our lives today? Let me suggest to you, let me suggest to you that the snares are coming through our computers and our televisions and our phones. That's where our snares are coming from. You might wonder, what is a snare? J.R. could tell you what a snare is. He has a, a trap, a live trap, and he traps cats. He feels like that's his mission. When we were building Freedom Hall, before we we'd set the building down and we were working on it, but we hadn't enclosed the bottom, and so it was open, and we were afraid cats would settle in under there, begin to have babies. We didn't want that. So I asked JR to come, and he brought his snare, his cat trap, set it up out there, and caught the cats for us. I don't know what he did with the cats. <laughs> but we had a lady living next door at the time, <clears throat> and she was a real problem I, um, how to describe her biblically? She had a screw loose. She was crazy as a bed bug. She used to accuse us of, of shooting our nail gun at night 
into her yard and hitting her house and hitting her car. And, and I tried to tell her, June, those things are way too expensive for us to stand out here and just shoot them into your yard. She didn't listen much to reason. One, one morning, <clears throat> I came early. Most of the guys that helped us with that project would get here about 5.30. I came about 5, and, and June was standing out there, and she had papered over all of our windows with posters that said all kind of nasty stuff about our church. I told you she was crazy. And so I, I got out, and I went up to her. I said, June, what is all this? And she said, I'm mad. What's new? She said, I'm mad because you trapped my cat. I said, I didn't trap your cat. She said, no, it wasn't you. It was that ugly Asian man. Oh, well, that would be JR. He trapped my cat yesterday. I said, well, did he, did he give it back? And she said, yes. I said, well, you're lucky because he usually eats them. <laughs> and she was furious. And she said, well, all I know is if you ever trap my cat again, and I tried to reason with her and tell her, well, June, now you know, the reason we were able to trap your cat is because your cat was out of your yard and it was on our property. But she wasn't really in the mood to hear Aristotelian logic that morning, and so she was just going off. But she said, if it ever happens again, she said, I'm going to come over here and I'm going to spray paint dirty words all over. And she mentioned some of them. I've heard them before. She's going to spray paint them all over the, the building. She said, then what are you going to do? I said, June, if you do that, then I'm going to have to get a trap and catch you. Oh, she was really furious then. Well, I tell you that shaggy dog story so that you will know what a snare is. It's something that looks good, that sounds good, that's desirable. Go back to the Garden of Eden and the forbidden fruit that's good to look at and probably tastes good and it'll make you wise. None of those things are ever true about a snare. But let me suggest that what we need to do occasionally is turn those things off. We need to have a day free of some of that or a part of every day free of some of that. Because you will never hear Jesus if he is the second voice. And those things are the first voice. He's talking about the things that cause us not to hear the voice of Christ. And among those are the snares that the world lays out there. And there are a bunch of them. He talks about the deceitfulness of riches will drown out his voice too. Proverbs says about riches, we need to remember this. They're not really worth chasing after our whole life long because Proverbs says riches have ways of sprouting wings and flying away. Here today, gone tomorrow. He talks too about the desire for other things. You know, we can desire things and want things and think we need things and never end up getting them. But just the desire alone is deafening enough to keep you from hearing Christ. So put Christ first. Jesus is called Messiah. It's a Hebrew word, Mashiach. It means king. He is the king. He is the first. He is the highest. He is the greatest. And we should treat him that way. We should hear the king first. 
He is one who is altogether lovely. He is the first and the last. He's the one who dwells in unapproachable light. But at the same time, he lives inside of you. There's nobody like him. There's no voice like his. There's nobody like him. Put him first. Listen to him this week. That's what this story is all about. Time, money, at home, leisure, our conversation, our word choices. How can we put him there first? In our thought life, how can we put him first? In how we spend our weekend, how we end our day, how we start our day. How can I include the voice of Jesus, you see? There was a man that I knew of who wound up with too many commitments. Most of it was his own dumb fault. But he was just flat too busy too much of the time. And it kind of became his lifestyle, but eventually he came to resent it. But he couldn't stop it. And he was all the time very tense about it his busyness, his activities. And he began snapping at his wife and snapping at his kids, not some days, but every day. And, and, and he couldn't even sit down and enjoy a meal because there was always something else to do. And he got in the habit of just choking down his food. He, he would be interrupted by any and all interruptions. They would irritate him. And soon his home started being a mirror of his hurry-up lifestyle. It was unbearable. One day he was sitting down at dinner, the family, and his daughter had had something happen at school that day that she just had to tell her dad about. But she knew how he was, hurry up, hurry up, and impatient and irritated with interruptions, and he probably had something he had to do. And so she started off talking really fast. She said, Daddy, something happened at school today I need to tell you about, and, and I promise it'll be really fast. I'll talk really fast. I'll tell you really, really fast. And that irritated him. But she said, I will talk really fast. That irritated him too. Even though it was his own fault, he was irritated. So he called her down. He said, you don't have to tell me really, really fast. Just tell me slowly. And he said he will never forget what she said to him. Then listen slowly. Jesus is going to be talking to you this week. Listen slowly. Listen slowly. Make time. Get this, he says, or you'll miss so much. He, she that has ears, let him hear. You've been listening to a slightly inspired message from Fairfax Assembly, a different kind of church in Bakersfield, California. Find out more at www.fairfaxassembly.com.